Hello and welcome to The Real Talk with Pillow Talk Studios. My name is Sierra and in this podcast, nothing is off limits. From my crazy life to yours, it's time to share our experiences and get into those gritty details. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to The Real Talk with Pillow Talk Studios. Today I am here with my good friend Cheyenne Campbell, who was actually one of my Pillow Talk ambassadors back in 2020 when... Things were very different then. Very chaotic, to say the least. (laughs) She had a very different experience than what most brand ambassadors would get, but of course she still knocked it out of the park and we kept in touch and she's just so amazing. So Cheyenne has had a very interesting life. I feel like I say that about everybody that comes on here, but it's very (laughs) true. Cheyenne, do you want to give a little bit of an introduction to yourself? Yeah, so like Sierra said, my name is Cheyenne. I am currently today, I'm 24 years old, pronouns she, her. Yeah, I have had definitely an interesting, chaotic upbringing, I guess you could say, like multiple different experiences. I try to stay as positive as possible throughout my life experiences, but especially when I share parts of my story, people don't expect that to be who like a part of who I am mm-hmm. they automatically is like this person had nothing like harmful or anything done to them or anything like that and I'm just like it's all about like my own mindset and I can only speak to my own journey of course but yeah I'm very grateful for this opportunity to share a little bit of what my story is and how I am and who I've become to be with all of this yeah absolutely <laughs> so before we get too into it we have a whole schwack of trigger warnings. Oh, a yes. whole bunch. So we have trigger warnings about eating disorders, sexual abuse, molestation, rape, like all of that kind of stuff. So if anything like that makes you uncomfortable, this probably isn't the episode for you. That being said, what Cheyenne has to say about her experiences are very insightful and might give you a different outlook on your own experiences and how to handle certain things. Before we get too into the details of your story, you said something really powerful to me in one of our own little chats a couple weeks ago, and you said you were a survivor and not a victim. So can you tell us why you define yourself this way? Well, for myself, I think a huge element of why I am the way I am today is because of my mindset and as well as like the support system that I've always had and always continued to surround myself with. And day after day, I just really didn't want to continue being someone's victim and feeling like I was this pinpoint of someone's reason for doing these bad things. It really just made me feel like really belittled. If someone looks at themselves as a victim, there's nothing wrong with you doing that. It's just for my own self in order to keep myself moving forward. I have to be like, I survived this. I was not the reason that any of these things happened to me. And just for myself, if I look at myself as a victim, I'm just like, oh, well that's because like I put myself in harm's way. And these are the negative consequences. Like my whole story started when I was around like four or five years old. And how can someone be a victim at four or five years old? Like just continuing going day to day and trying to navigate all this trauma and all these different perspectives and societal pressures that are put on you every single day from being a survivor of like sexual trauma and grooming and molestation and everything from such a young age, especially because it came from a family member of mine. I was like, I am not being your victim. So it was a huge power thing in myself in order to empower me to move forward, especially with anyone around me. If they are ever 
are a victim in say the criminal world kind of thing. I was like, no, you're a survivor. You have lived this. You have to continue every single day after this, knowing that this experience has happened to you. And just because that experience happened once or multiple times, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist anymore and you don't carry it without your entire life. So being a survivor to me is just very important and knowing that I have that power within myself, for sure. Oh, that's really, really amazing mindset. But I think too, that like we kind of have to think and know it's not our fault that we're surrounded by predators. No. And you never know when someone is going to have predatory actions towards someone. And like you said, how is a four or five year old, a 10, 11 year old, yeah. a 50 year old, a grandma in a nursing home, how are any of us ever supposed to know that this is gonna happen to us? Yeah. Or like, it's it's not our fault. No, it's never our fault. And like, that's what people have this mentality of looking in on you and thinking that they know your story, but they don't. The only person that knows your story in full detail is you who've experienced it. The predator is going to have their different lens on it. They're going to have that pleasure aspect of it in some shape, way, or form. And you are going to be there and having to deal with and cope with and trying to navigate life with all these different stories that you're like that you've been dealt and as well as trying to navigate your own mental wellness during all of it. As you just mentioned, your trauma and abuse started when you were only like four or five years old, which is so wild. And what were some of those things that you endured during that time? So around four or five years old, it was a family member of mine, unfortunately. No matter who your predator and stuff is, it I for myself, it hits different when it's a family member. They're supposed to be safe. Yeah, they're supposed to be a safe space for sure. It was not for me. So what I endured was a lot of game playing, a lot of grooming. So he, we would play hide and seek and he said he was gonna come and find me. And when he found me, that is when it, everything would kind of unravel. There'd be a lot of moments of me hiding in the closet, hiding under beds. There'd be moments of videotaping as well, photo, photo taking. So just knowing that those exist somewhere in the world yeah. is just like gut wrenching to me. Just to like even bring it up now, if anyone starts filming you in like a distressed state, that's that's not okay. No, like it's so horrible. When I was in college, I was, I don't know exactly what I was upset about, but one of these guys I was hanging out with started filming me yeah. and saying like, oh, what about this in your life? Well, what about that? And it honestly just made me have like a full like mental like breakdown. It was so bad. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if anyone starts filming you in those types of situations, that's so predatory yep. and I still think about that I'm like does he still have that yep. like where where is that now yeah yeah like there's like this whole mindset that I have it's just being like there is this evidence or maybe it was destroyed or maybe it's somewhere on the web and I don't even know and people all around the world predators around the world are looking at these photos of me when I'm four and five years old yeah. and I don't even know what I look like what's going on what how clothed or unclothed I am mm -hmm. if it shows my face or if it doesn't mm -hmm. there's also the elements of just I guess like manipulation in the grooming and stuff for sure saying like it's our little secret there's a thing about like if I allow this to continue or don't continue kind of thing, then it's worse is gonna happen to someone else. Yeah. So that was a huge mental play on it for yeah. a four or five year old yeah. to endure that. Like 
you're literally learning how to tie your shoes yeah. at that age. I shouldn't have to worry about getting undressed and being clothed and am I the only one enduring this or are the other people around me also enduring this and stuff as well, which unfortunately people were. I was not alone in that environment, but having that grooming mentality of having someone have this authority and like you're supposed to look at them as someone that cares and comforts for you and he took advantage of that. I didn't have power over what was going on. My parents were in the dark about a lot of this mm -hmm. until much later on in life. And of course, we were all looking forward to go over to his house and see other people from our family. And he would take advantage of that, just like how predators do. So to have that going on is just, it was a lot to process at four and five years old and mm -hmm. I didn't really understand it obviously being so young and it didn't end until I was around I want to say like 10 years old yeah when one of the other individuals that was encountering all this abuse and grooming and sexual abuse and stuff as well they came forward and came forward to a guidance counselor and they got a, a hold of like our parents and stuff like that wow yeah it's interesting now because I find now more than ever parents are teaching their kids like how to approach that type of stuff from a very young age yeah and i remember in like kindergarten grade one like you know a teacher pulling out a chart and being like if someone touches you there there tell someone about it but they didn't go into the fact of like how a lot of these people will manipulate you. Well, if you tell someone, you're going to get in so much trouble. Yeah. Or I'm going to, you know, lock you in the closet. You know, like all yeah. of these like things. I mean, we've all heard about it. Or unfortunately, a lot of us have experienced that type of stuff too. And of course, the, it's our little secret. And, yeah. you know, if this happens, it's it, if you tell someone, it's going to happen to someone else. Like all of that kind of stuff. So a lot of parents are doing such a good job now at doing it. And again, like it's not even your parents' fault for yeah. what happened. Well, it's yeah. kind of good that you mentioned the whole like when someone touches you here, like almost a diagram because when I got brought into the police station and stuff for interrogation when I was young, they set out a diagram and had dolls and stuff and they asked me to label the body parts. And from a very young age, I was very well sexual educated. My parents are very good advocates on sex positivity and I love that about them. Huge reason why I'm doing the path that I'm doing now mm -hmm. today. But I didn't want to name the body parts the proper terminology. So instead of saying breast and vulva and vagina, mm -hmm. I just said, oh, like those are boobies and that is like the private square and stuff like that. Because I didn't want to say like I was too smart for the police officers because then they wouldn't take me seriously for being like a 10, 11 year old. Yeah. And still to this day, like I beat myself up about it mm -hmm. because I'm just like, well, what happens if I change my mentality? And I also went into the protective state at that time because they're asking me questions about this family member of mine. And I knew that family member had children. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, I don't want the children to get taken away that I don't, they're, they're in good hands with him. Like, it's okay. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want her, like him to get in trouble or anything like that. And so I protected him but also because that's the whole grooming element of it all. And a lot of people were just like, oh, you're just doing that because like you didn't want to get in trouble. I was like, no, I was groomed from such a young age to be his little secret mm -hmm. that I couldn't release any information. Even if the police officer is saying like, you're in safe hands here, nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I didn't trust anyone Yeah. because how could I 
go and trust my family member that's doing this to me and trust a complete random stranger that's asking me questions about this. If this person's ever touched me in any in these areas, have, they, have I ever seen anyone else get touched? Is there videos out there? Is there photos? Do you remember any of that? Like it, it was a very difficult situation to deal with at such a young age and reflecting on it now, it's just like, I just try to take care of that little inner child I have of mine because I was just trying to protect everyone else. Mm -hmm. In the end, I ended up doing more harm to my own self. I can't say to others just because I felt like now reflecting back, I feel like I've deprived myself of that ability to speak out and gain my voice. Instead, I was hidden and diminished, but that wasn't because of me. It was because of him. So moving on a little bit on our timeline, when you were in first grade, you started enduring some very weird behavior in your school's bathroom. Yeah. So let's go into that. Not a lot of people in my life actually know this story Mm -hmm. whatsoever. So family, friends, if you're listening to this, hi. (laughs) What's up? You're about to learn a lot about me that you didn't know existed. So yeah, when I was in grade one, we had like a co-ed bathroom within our classroom, which of course came very handy that we didn't have to go in the halls or anything. But when it came to lunchtime in particular, we had sometimes we had school monitors, sometimes we didn't. It was very much so heavily enforced after I voiced some things to a little bit of magnitude when I could when I was in grade one. I used to have a bunch of classmates that were male break into the bathroom when I was in there by myself. So it was literally just like a little toilet and a sink situation, but the light was always on the outside of the bathroom. And so there was one time in particular that like really impacted me was they shut off the lights, were rattling the doors. So I didn't know what was going on. All I heard was the guy's laughters and whispers. And next thing I know, I they flipped on the lights and I was surrounded by like six or seven young boys my age. And they were just like poking at different parts of me, asking what's going on, like, what are these parts? And I just remember screaming and just being frozen on the toilet because I was like completely exposed, not knowing what was going on or anything like that. And that happened, I want to say almost that entire school year, like on and off through the entire time. And then I asked the teacher, I said, can we have one of the older kids come? So I think my sister became an older buddy, a lunch monitor at the time. So I used to just sit with her during lunch instead of using the bathroom. Um, So a lot of fear around bathrooms started evolving around that. Um, I always used to bring a friend with me instead um, just because I never want to experience having that many males Mm. around me at a young age, especially with the sexual trauma and stuff that I was enduring at that time. And nobody knew about that either. No, no one knew about that. Yeah. So here I am just being a young girl that's just going to the bathroom and was getting tormented by different boys and then those boys they're just like well those are boys boys are reading boys like that kind of mentality yeah ever since a young age has always just irked me and that even more just because I knew about that that's what I experienced Mm -hmm. to some people they're probably gonna be like oh like whatever they're just like poking making fun games and I'm just like no No. this is so messed up like you don't see what's wrong with kids breaking into a bathroom when they know there's one person in particular mm-hmm. and you turn off the lights and you're rattling the doors, you're whispering, you're they screaming. They knew what they were call. doing. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And they wanted to hurt you. Yeah. And I just, what, I was so like alone and afraid, even though I had classmates and stuff in the classroom, but 
they never really know 100% what's going on. They're doing, enjoying their lunch, playing games. Like, you yeah. can do whatever you want during lunchtime. Mm-hmm. So that was a big incident that happened when I was in grade one that, like, really, like, started almost, like, this triggering fear aspect of my life of, like, one, not liking being around a bunch of males in particular. Yeah. But two, like, around bathrooms, being alone. As soon as, like, the lights get shut off when I'm in a room mm-hmm. and I'm not expecting it, I'm expecting when the lights come back on to be surrounded around people and not right. a lot of people know that. Mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, like, when I go to the gym now and the lights get turned off randomly because they're automatic, yeah. it scares the living freaking scares me light. and I don't even have that trauma. Yeah. yeah, so, like, it scares me. It startles me because I don't know when those lights come on, even though I can see around me but back then it was like complete pitch pitch dark but it just shows like how things can evolve and grow and just like those little moments can start so much Mm -hmm. and I when I say little moments I don't want to say to diminish like that trauma and stuff that I was going through those experiences but it's just since it's a small portion of my life and and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah I think too because we're taught from such a young age that like bathroom is your private space mm-hmm yeah, if you need help in the bathroom, then you call for your mother or your dad or yeah. your sister or whoever to, like, help you with whatever's going You're on. You're in such a vulnerable state going to the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. That having someone... Oh, my God, I can't even imagine someone opening the door while I'm taking a shit. Like, I seriously... Yeah. <laughs> seriously, like, I think about that. And, like, we've all had it even with, like, you know, your... In your the own public fa- bathroom. Well, yeah, or even in just, like, your own... Fa- like, in your own house and, like... Yeah. You know, you're doing your business and your mom opens it and even your mom's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like slams the door in your face, you know? So like, yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those things that like they, they knew what they were doing. Yep. They were doing it for a reason. And that was to get some type of like, ha ha yeah. pleasure out of it. Yeah. yeah. And I was like the laughing end of their joke. Yeah. All the time. So flashing forward again a little bit here, but when Cheyenne was 15 years old, she wrote a poem and ended up sharing it in front of her entire school. And when she was the Pillow Talk brand ambassador, she graciously, can't get that word out today, (laughs) shared this poem with our blog. And I also shared it in um, my Facebook VIP group everywhere. And it, it says a lot. So I will let Cheyenne share her poem now. So wrote this when I was 15 years old and we're just practicing slam poetry in my English class actually. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like doing slam poems about their cat and like family and like happy things. And I went deep and I went to society's perception dark. I went really deep, really dark, really scary, really fast. Mm -hmm. And I used this as a moment to share my story, but people didn't know it was me necessarily. Mm -hmm. They just thought I was writing to write so it's called family it turns out when i was growing up my household was family orientated always getting visits from grandparents cousins aunts and uncles we grew so close it was like they never left hugs and kisses getting thrown around like it was nothing it was routine i never thought it was anything strange i never thought about what they were thinking i just thought this is what families did turns out it's not yeah they can tell you to smile but he should never stroke your thigh He should never touch you the way you would want your lover to embrace you. You are more than just breasts, legs, and ass and lips. The clothes you wear should not be removed unless you want them to be. You can say, do not touch me. Please go. He won't let you. I'm telling you, he won't. He'll say whatever he can to make you stay and not leave. 
He'll tell you, you'll get in trouble. This is our little secret. Don't leave or I'll do it to your little sister. Your mind is telling you to run. Grab your sister and leave. Scream at the top of your lungs. Believe me, you'll scream louder than you'll ever know. But you won't do that. You will sit there in that bed, naked. Yes, naked. All because you don't want anyone to hurt that little girl that looks up to you. Years go by. You're now 13 years old. That little violated girl you used to be is now that depressed, suicidal attention seeker that just wants help. Your little sister is now nine years old. She begins to come home every Friday with tears rushing down her face, but never saying what's wrong. But you know. You know he touched her. You know he molested your little sister just like how he used to do to you. You call it quits. You run to the nearest teacher at school the next day and you just let it out. You let it all out. It's been three hours since you told someone. The police, social services, your parents, and even your darling little sister all arrive. They talk to each of us individually. You question yourself asking, what have I done? You notice how everyone stares at you. Your little sister had to show the police where he touched her. She looks terrified. Your parents look mortified. And you, well, you're just wishing you were dead. The only thing stopping you is your sister. You couldn't just let her go through that years of torture you went through alone, could you? Six years have gone by. You have night terrors every time you close your eyes. The terrors consist of you living the last 10 years of your life over and over again. You fear that he'll come and find you. You'll never trust another man. You don't know you could love another human being again. You'll never have high self-esteem. You can never fully enjoy life again, all because of that man you used to call your uncle. He was family. Family doesn't do that. Turns out, they do. So looking back at it, how would you describe how you felt when everything was coming out and you were going through interrogation and all of that business? A lot of me back then, like looking back, I would say I was very protective of those around me, but my own emotional feeling, I felt probably the smallest I've ever felt in my entire life. I felt like I literally didn't have a voice. I had no control of my emotions anymore. Mm -hmm. I was angry all of the time. I was either angry and yelling and screaming and fighting. Mm. Like, I understand siblings fight, but the things that I was doing to my siblings, I say sorry to them all the time. It wasn't fair. It was not fair how I handled all of that. Mm -hmm. The amount of blame I put on myself and to others. Mm -hmm. And when I wasn't angry, I was crying. I was uncontrollably crying. I was acting out in all different ways. Mm -hmm. The only way that I felt things were good was when I was doing schoolwork actively right. at the desk doing schoolwork. As soon as I'd come off, home from school, I sat at our kitchen table and I'd do schoolwork and all my homework for the entire week. I'd sit there for hours and wait for dinner. So it was dinner something was else to think about. Yeah. 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 I, I wouldn't necessarily call it relief because in the end, nothing happened to him. He didn't get in trouble really i from my understanding of the situation i believe police had a conversation with him tried to find some evidence he had already destroyed everything right at least that's what i was told mm-hmm. but and then did 
I, I mean, I have to ask, like, did yeah. his child, like, disown him at all, or? Uh, when she was older, yes. Okay. But she stayed with him. Yeah. For a long time, she was uh, denied everything. So that was a big thing. Now looking back at it, I am so proud of everyone that was involved who are survivors mm -hmm. of his abuse. Uh, I'm so proud of each and every single one of us mm -hmm. because we continued on yeah. when things were very dark yeah. and were a very scary time for all of us, especially how I had people look at me. I That's where I think I that whole mindset of being a victim versus survivor, how people would look at me, I felt like a victim. Everyone would check up on me when people even look at me now and they're like, Shine, you don't look good, you feel like you're really run down. Mm -hmm. It brings me back to that state. Right. Um, and so that's when I'm just like, I need to push forward. I need to do better. If I'm not good, then other people aren't gonna be good. I took on like this role of being the protector and the mediator of my entire family and anything that went down because I felt like I was in the middle of all of that. I felt like I had to protect my siblings, had to protect like our, I guess our status as a family. Yeah, absolutely. And keep hold during all of that. But I'm so proud of each and every single one of us that had to endure it now, mm -hmm. for sure. I wish there was more action done towards it, just from law enforcement and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But obviously it just goes to show like there's always like these ups and downs and stuff that come with all of that. Yeah. This was about like 14, 15 years ago about yeah. that. Oh God. Uh, yeah. When it all got released. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'd say like 14, 15 years ago, I think. I feel like even just criminal justice in that time frame from like then to now, so much has changed. Oh, big time. And... I don't think he would have gotten away with as much. No. I feel like now he probably would have had to like register at least as a sex offender, like yeah. that kind of thing. But it's just, it's just disappointing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Especially because someone who just finished with the courts regarding like another assault and stuff. Yeah. It's very nice to see how in depth they are now with all their criminal justice and stuff. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. As a child and teenager, you actually struggled with disordered eating as well. And you were always dealing with consistent pressure from family and rules at eating at your own home and people talking about your body size and so much more. So can you tell us about the things that stuck with you from that time frame? I guess a huge thing for me is being, I guess, an advocate now for myself and building a voice mm -hmm. because... I often was just told like you eat what you eat or you don't eat at all or yeah. you have like cereal or soup or I have people touching my body and would be like, well, I can feel your bones. I actually had a recent incident, like literally even at 24 years old mm -hmm. where I had someone touch my body and tell me, ask me where all my food goes and rub my stomach and touch my hips. And I was like, I'm 24 years old. And, but I immediately reverted back to a childhood state and froze. Yeah. I just froze and like I brought it forward to my supports and stuff and they're like if you want to talk to this person about it so I went to go talk to this person about it and they did the exact same thing again oh my god and so then I just froze and I was like this isn't worth my time no or anything they just will never quite understand what that does to people no and reflecting back and stuff and what really stuck with me I now obviously have like disordered eating habits and stuff now mm -hmm. I very much so am a slow eater I have to have a liquid of some sort like a drink water milk anything juice I will refuse to eat anything unless if I have a liquid nearby because when I was 
so my eating disorder got so bad that I had such severe acid reflux, I actually burnt my esophagus. Yeah. So I would have choking all the time. I'd start choking on anything. Mm-hmm. I remember trying to even sip the milk from Honey Nut Cheerios and I started choking on the milk. Yeah. And I was terrified. So I then got fearful of eating alone. Mm-hmm. So I'd only eat around people that were safe to me. And so my dad would go with me to the ears, nose, and throat doctor, and they put me on this specific medication that actually causes osteoporosis if you're on it for longer than a year. And I was, I think I was like 15 or 16 at the time. I was just going to say, what a horrible medication to put a child on. Yeah. yeah. 15 or 16 at the time. I Then they put me on a very specific diet, aka anything that didn't have taste, like I couldn't have. Like it was like skim milk, soy milk, dairy-free, anything. Oh, like you probably any- have such aversions to that now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as someone who's allergic to like oats and stuff, yeah. like I can't have like oat milk. So I mm-hmm. have to have like different versions of milks. And But I just like, I'm just like, whatever, it's not worth it. If I have like aversions, I'd rather keep, keep the things that are safe for me. Yeah. Um, but it also limits my socialization. Um, it also makes me feel very fearful and impactful when I eat around males. Mm -hmm. So if I eat in front of you and you're a male, you're welcome, I guess, because I actually, it's like a gain of trust that I have in you or else like I would go on dates and stuff with guys and they'd be like, oh, let's go to a restaurant. I'm like, I can't, I can't eat in front of guys. I actually had like a horrible experience after my ex and I split uh, and he was like, oh, I know you can't eat in front of guys, but I'm going to watch you eat and brought me to a restaurant and had me sit there and eat in front of him and just watched me the entire time like literally got up in my face yeah and I was like this is very 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 triggering for me because I a huge thing of I guess the root of my eating disorder from my perspective and stuff was I was not one gaining weight and everyone always commented on my weight so I figured well if I'm eating a shit ton of food what happens if I just stop eating maybe I'll miraculously somehow gain weight Mm -hmm. like somehow my brain did that trickery but also the fact that I had so many negative experiences with males from such a young age that I didn't want males to look at me in particular. I wanted to literally disgust them. Yeah. So the skinnier I got, the less people I thought would look at me, mm-hmm. which obviously wasn't the case. I was just going to say it was probably the opposite. Of yeah. Tape. I had yeah. way more people look at me then. Yeah. And I just had to learn and navigate what made me feel safe and a huge thing that like helped me was like having YouTube videos and watching people eat and I eat at the same time. Normalizing it. Yeah, normalizing what's going around me. Also be mindful of what's gonna trigger my acid reflux because as soon as I feel that choking mechanism kind of thing go on, I stop eating completely because I get so fearful. Yeah. That one, yes, I'm going to choke and I'm gonna die, all those different things, but that I revert back to when I felt like I was being like strangled at the throat at such a young, young age of like not having a voice and feeling like I was in a chokehold because of the grooming and everything going around. Right. Um, so it's very difficult for me to navigate that and mm-hmm. being in the, the mental health field and stuff, people are very understanding of it, but yet people still comment. Yeah. And it's very a very, very difficult, like sticky situation to try to navigate in this yeah. world because everyone loves commenting on people's bodies all yeah. the time. And I never want to walk around this world and be like, oh, you're triggering me, you're triggering me, you're triggering me. Everyone needs to stop what they're doing. I need to deal with it on my own and like mm-hmm. have the supports that I have. But also being aware that 
this isn't because of my own actions. It was because of someone else's. Yeah. So how, what can I do to move forward and to deal with the things that I'm experiencing, but in a more healthy way? Yeah, absolutely. I think too, a lot of people still think back to like the late nineties and early two thousands where it's like, someone lost weight, someone's skinny, someone looks so good. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that person, they went from, you know, 200 pounds to 150. Oh my God, they must be like feeling amazing right now. Like all of this kind of stuff. And it's just so wild to me that people feel like they have, first off, that they are just like, okay with commenting on that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And B, it's just, it's just so disrespectful. Yeah. Like a lot of people <laughs> don't think like, they're like, oh, I'll comment on someone's body. Mm-hmm. The one that probably irks me the most is when people comment on what other people eat. Yes. It's like, it's not your body. doesn't no. care what you're ingesting. Yeah. I, I, like that amount of pressure mm-hmm. has been on there ever since I was a young kid. Like yeah. eating at the dinner table and stuff like that. Yeah. The pressures that my parents or family members or even like childhood family friends, their parents would put on to me saying that I'd have to complete the entire meal or else a timer would go on, sit on my hands until they're black and blue, put my nose against the wall. Like you needed to do those things, sit in the corner, do all these different things. You couldn't talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. Like you need to do all these things. And, or you were a good eater, you were praised, but it wasn't really praised. It was more demoralizing, if anything, like getting called a garbage can or mm-hmm. garbage disposal or you're a pig and just put yeah. all your scraps and stuff you on so-and-so's plate. Yeah, like you said you were hungry. Why aren't you eating? Like, yeah. what's going on? Like, yeah. And then they start interrogating you and like just knowing that all those pressures just build up. It's very difficult for sure. And like I, because I lost a whole bunch of weight because of the incident that happened back in January, I had to up the amount I was eating. So that was very triggering for my eating disorder and stuff as well. And having to go back on like, not protein shake, but supplement shakes and stuff like boost and stuff. Boost and ensure. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they're so gross. They (laughs) are so gross. But like I had them back when I was 15, 16, Mm because they're like, you need to get your calories in. And I remember that being so humiliating, opening up my lunch kit and be like, I need to finish these two shakes. And people would be like, oh, what's this for? And then you're like, well, I don't want to say I have an eating disorder. So I'm just like, oh, just my throat's doing something weird. And they're trying to balance my gut. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's, it was so belittling in a sense and humiliating to even open up about any of that back then versus now I'm just like, oh. Like I am underweight to the point that I need to be on that in order to try to maintain and survive still and yeah. get back to a healthy weight for my own body because it mm-hmm. started to shut down some things in my body. Yeah. And that was very scary. And like, I literally had no energy. You're lucky if you saw me awake for like more than an hour to two a day. And yeah. that's very difficult when you're working an eight hour chef job yeah. and as well going to school at the same time. So having those boost shakes now, I'm like, I love them now because I have control of me going to the store and buying them. But at the beginning, it was so hard for me to even get one shake down because it brought me back to that state of being like, I am getting hand in hand, had to hold my dad's hand at the doctor's because I did not want to go to the doctor's and confront someone and be like, I stopped eating because X, Y, Z and because this man grew me when I was young. So I don't want to even have anyone look at me. So I'm starving myself, but I'm not going to say that. Like, yeah, it was 
humiliating to say all that so like now trying to move past that i'm just like okay we need to do this we need to continue on we need to feel Mm -hmm. good about our body body do the things that Mm -hmm. are going to make our body continue to thrive and especially because i was on that survival mode for so long yeah and that we're only given one body yeah and as hard as it can be sometimes we do have to treat our own bodies with respect and kindness oh i did not treat my body with any respect or kindness for a very long time yeah but it seems like you really did realize that at some point that if yeah you continued down that path you you would just die yep you know yeah you would start having organ failure and all of that kind of stuff and no it's it's really amazing that you're able to like recognize when something happens now and when you need to pull out those shakes again. <laughs> yeah, those shakes are my go-to now, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> as you grew older, you started dabbling into dating and having fun as a young woman. You learned very quickly that not everyone has your best interest and physical and sexual abuse can happen really easily. So in 2016, this is actually a court case that just wrapped up and finished mm-hmm. back in January. So the incident happened back in 2016 where the finalized court case, I guess, classified charge is a physical assault causing bodily harm. And that was done to me by one of my best friends at the time, her boyfriend. So it literally is just like a huge shitstorm. I always refer to it as a shitstorm because here I am just hanging out with my best friend. Her boyfriend didn't think anything was really going to happen. And I started witnessing stuff happening to her like bruises and bite mm. marks and stuff like that and like i very much so educated in like bdsm kink and i'm like okay possibilities yeah no it bites was... are really dangerous too for sure i don't think a lot of people know this but like human mouths are fucking gross like they are disgusting and there's if you look into it there's actually a lot of like cases that come up where somebody like gets really really sick because of a bite so yeah. Good on you for recognizing that. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So that happened with her and there was an incident that he like slapped, grabbed my butt, tossed me over his shoulder and took literally like a bite out of my upper outer left thigh. Yeah. And it left a mark on my leg for at least four weeks. Of course, obviously I have this massive bruise that just keep on getting bigger and bigger. You could individually see the The teeth marks. The teeth marks. Yeah. And that was so fucked up i still have like photos and stuff to this day because i had to bring it for court and all these different things and thank goodness like with the evidence and stuff we brought forward he he was guilty he's in jail and everything Mm -hmm. but it just goes to show like even that small incident instance like i immediately didn't like my partners touching my like thighs anymore and that was before a very sensual thing to me and i was 16 at the time so Mm -hmm. to have that taken away from you at 16 like at any age but like i was like like everything like going through puberty literally just like just started getting like a really good supportive bra like all those different things and like feeling very shameful like if someone grabbed that portion of my thigh anymore like i would quiver i would shake i had pain radiating down my thighs for Mm -hmm. weeks i couldn't play this high intense level sports that i was playing anymore anytime i touched the ball or the ball would go near that area like it sent shooting pain Mm -hmm. up and down my legs and everything like that so that was like a first instance that happened that really shaped how I am in relationships now, I would say. Mm-hmm. Another instance was in October 2018. I was in university and we were having like a little party because it was at the end of our soccer season. And I invited a guy up from the States because we we're right on the border. And he came up and he ended up like forcing himself on me. And I literally like 
kept on telling him, I was like, nope, nothing sexual is going to happen. Like, we're making out throughout the night, whatever. Yeah. Drinks are going. He was like, well, like, why were you making out with me all night and now not doing this? And I said, just because I was making out back then, I was like, doesn't mean I want something sexually now. No. I said, just because that happened as a precursor doesn't mean that's going to happen. Yeah. And I, he literally just kept on touching me. And I remember, like, falling asleep and I woke up to him trying to remove my pant bottoms at the time. Like, my PJ bottoms. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. get the fuck out of my bed. Sorry for having all the F-bombs, but I, like, literally freaked out. And I was like, you need to go... Like, you need to go sleep down on the couch. And he was just like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But then I fell asleep after thinking he went downstairs. And I didn't think to lock my door because, like, it was my own bedroom. And he came back up and still continued to try to do stuff. Yeah. And, like, grabbing parts of me and all those different things. And then there was times that we were at, like, a dance at the school. And I had a guy literally come up randomly when I was dancing by myself and some girlfriends. This guy randomly came up and, like, shoved his fingers at me. And I was like, literally so caught off guard one, but also the amount of pain that happened. Oh yeah, it's not, you're not ready for it, so it's not going to be okay. No, no. And like this guy didn't even know him, didn't even know his name, didn't, have never even talked to him before. And I was like, what in the world is going on? So then I started dancing with another guy later on the evening because I was like, okay, I'm going to go check myself in the bathroom. Everything Mm -hmm. like looks all good whatever went back continued on my night and then that guy ended up switching spots with the guy that i was dancing with and i didn't know because i had my back facing right and then he tried again and i was just like pushed him off i was like what the hell's going and i like literally left for the evening yeah and just goes to show like obviously like consent is such a huge thing Mm -hmm. and just knowing like that was a very public setting yeah literally like there was probably at least like 75 people in that room yeah and like those things are happening yep and it baffles my mind that people are always like oh it's like you're in a back alley and that's when you'll get exalted and like or like you're in a domestic violence relationship Mm -hmm. and that's when you'll get abused Mm -hmm. or like you're complete random stranger i was like yeah this is a complete random stranger but i'm in a most public setting as possible yep like this it, it's happening before our very eyes yeah you know and, and like, people don't see it or no. they do see it and they just turn a I, blind eye yeah yeah I they mean, don't check in i've had people like touch my butt like under a skirt yeah. at the club before too and then you turn around and then there's just this guy being like <laughs> like staring at you like did you like it like you know like yeah. you know that's what they would have asked you like yeah that, and i just would be like what the fuck and like i never like went through with anything of course because it just yeah. like was really weird and I would just kind of be like hee hee like walk away I think we also minimize it to ourselves absolutely 100%. now I would make such a big deal out of it oh 100 yeah. I would throw the biggest bit ever I'd make this person feel so humiliated yeah. and like have everyone look at them be yeah. like look what the like fuck this person just did yeah exactly and I think that now people would definitely be more receptive to that too if you yeah. just started screaming on a dance floor yeah you have every right to do that yep and it's not a bad thing. Yeah. You don't have to think that you're taking away from other people's experience having a good time because you just got assaulted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Like having that voice and knowing that you can use mm-hmm. it and we've been silenced for so long. Yeah. So there is that incident. I also had uh, an incident where I was strangled from my best friend that I was being intimate with in 2019. It was literally like I think it was the last day I was seeing him before I moved back to BC mm-hmm. and he were having sex and then like 
I'm all for asphyxiation in a very safe way. Mm-hmm. When I am engaging in sexual activity, I have a conversation with my partners around it. Mm-hmm. And so we're engaging in that earlier on. And then he just looked at me and he pulled out and he just started strangling me. And I had to kick him in his like sternum in order to get him off of me because he was under the influence and stuff at the time. Yeah. And it popped blood vessels in my neck and like on my face and stuff. And I remember having a board a plane that next day feeling like so disgusting. And Mm -hmm. I had to like hide these marks and stuff. Yeah. Because I didn't want people to know. And I didn't want people to be like, oh, well, you just can't handle a little rough choking. And I was like, that's not what that was. No. He, there literally was no sexual Grabbing someone's neck and like using a little bit of force is one thing. Yeah. But. No, we're talking like both hands. Yeah. I had a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't have anyone touch my neck for a long time after that, clearly. Mm -hmm. And now I definitely make sure I have a very thorough conversation with like new partners around it, Mm -hmm. which I'm very grateful for. If someone doesn't respect it, then you don't get the you don't get the opportunity to be intimate with me. No. So that was a big part of my journey and trying to navigate and trying to learn and gain my voice back from that Mm -hmm. because I actually ended up getting like bullied and harassed when I went back to that school that year because he was sharing his side of the story and I was getting told I need an exorcism done because I'm a devil because I just want to ruin people's lives because I want to educate people about, about the amount of harm that this person can do. And there's other things Awful. that person did as well, but that's not my story and stuff to share. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a huge incident and stuff that happened that really shaped who I am today. And just knowing like I can also like navigate this, it was just really sticky because I tried to remain friends with him because our friendship was so much to me then. Yeah. But I could not get past that. No, of course At not. all, obviously. Yeah. And it was very hard to navigate that because it was someone that I trusted. And yet mm-hmm. again, just like childhood stuff, like you trust yeah. this person, they're supposed to care about you, they're not supposed to hurt you, they're supposed to like protect you and support you and all these different things. Yeah. Which I'm very grateful that I had the partnerships that I have since, especially my most recent one that happened from 2020 to end of 2022, um, who I still remain best friends to this day. Love him to freaking mm-hmm. with my whole entire soul he is good people yeah he is a good person <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> where he actually wasn't around when this incident happened because i went down to vancouver with one of my best friends that i'm actually moving into when i moved to saskatchewan with. oh exciting love her <laughs> i went downtown uh in vancouver and got drugged at a club and it was the want to say one of the scariest experiences of my entire life. I lost full function of my body. Hmm. I woke up in the hospital. They tried doing sternum rubs. They tried doing trap squeezes, everything like that. Mm-hmm. Nothing was getting me any alertness or anything out of me. They tried flashlights in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I was just uncontrollably like gagging and stuff and I'm, dry heaving. I think the crazy thing too is like you are a very aware person. Oh, 100%. Even I know when you're drinking and stuff too that you, you never go that hard where you like lose no. you know the ability to know what's going around no going they on even, around you yeah, yeah they did my toxicology report yeah. and it said my blood alcohol level and my level unconsciousness did not match at all huh. the nurse was very fearful for me as to what was going on they said they weren't really able to trace exactly what it was i know i mm-hmm. had barbiturates or benzos or something in my yeah. system but that's all they know. Literally the entire night, anytime I had a drink, I always had my hand cupped over the lid yep. until the very end of the night, which is when I was drinking water. 
and I was sitting on the side and then these two guys were talking to me and my best friend Mm -hmm. and that's probably when it happened was when they were with us and that all unfolded and I remember like getting up to talk to my friend who was the bartender Mm -hmm. and I was like something's not right I think I've been drugged because I saw three of him and I looked at her and I said there's multiple of you what is going on and I was like he was like immediately told my best friend I was like take her to throw up in the bathroom and apparently I got up just fine I don't remember any of this washed my hands and I got up to the top of the stairs and I dropped like she was like I you were dead weight yeah like there was nothing and yeah I really thought you were about to die yeah Yeah. I I apologize multiple times I was like I know what it's like to witness an overdose Mm -hmm. from being in that field I was like, I know how terrifying it can be. And I see these people actively using these substances. So I know what to look for versus you literally just had me completely in a conversation with you laughing and dancing and to just being dropped and waking up in the hospital. It would have been whatever they gave you. It was a lot. And it was like, it hit me so so hard. Yeah. Hit me so hard that the nurse, literally the only reason that he, I went and saw the nurse and stuff. And he was like, I'm very surprised to see you awake right now. I said, oh, I'm in a lot of pain because I had to pee so badly. And they were mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're about to give you a catheter. So, oh my gosh. yeah, so they literally yeah. were doing all these hookups. But it was super scary because when I woke up, yes, I saw her on the edge of the bed. But I realized that I was naked underneath my gown. Yeah. And I was like, why am I naked? Oh, yeah. my God. What and I, that's was where I, your head goes yeah. because of what you've experienced in your life. Yeah. Right? I was like, oh, my God, I'm. I was examined. I was raped. Like, I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. And then I asked the nurse that was there. That was not the nurse I had the entire night. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, well, I don't know, possibly. And then my, that's when my best friend woke up and she's like, no, I was with her the entire time. Like no one touched her. I made sure like I had. Was your friend drunk too? Yeah. Okay. Okay. But they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't get drugged or anything. They were just drinking. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They were just drinking and stuff, but literally the... She was explaining, they're like, oh, what kind of party drugs and stuff were you girls doing? We're like, we don't do drugs. Like, no. we, we drink and very seldom yeah. at that. So that nurse was not the most supportive when I first woke up. So having the nurse that was with me the entire night was yeah. very helpful. Clearly she had been through that with yeah. other patients before. Yeah, it was a he, but yes. He, sorry. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he was phenomenal going through all of that. But obviously having that state of having zero control and so helpless over your entire body Mm -hmm. it opened up the floodgates for all of my trauma and that's when as soon as that happened back in april 2022 i registered to start seeing a therapist in may so i started having my very first appointment with her i believe it was the very first week of june Mm -hmm. of 2022 and i was like okay all of my trauma just came to the service surface like i had so much like vulva pain vaginal pain i literally like was getting triggered by every single little thing that was going on i my eating disorder kicked up automatically obviously going Mm -hmm. on i was very emotional had no control over my emotions my perception of how people perceived me changed Mm -hmm. completely went back to like a childhood state of like that anxiousness and everything wanting to hide in a closet nothing made sense anymore i was barely surviving right when navigating all of that yeah absolutely so when you started seeing the therapist and obviously you probably felt like you were just like trauma dumping, but even though it's like their everyday job. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, had you been to a therapist before? Was this like your no, first I, time? Oh, it's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, 
the very first time I saw a therapist that wasn't like a guidance counselor and stuff yeah, from school. They don't. Guidance counselors no. can't really do a whole lot. Yeah. No, exactly. They can give you resources and stuff. But the very first therapist I saw was uh, because of the incidents and stuff that happened with me being a child and the molestation and grooming and stuff mm-hmm. with the family member. I went because someone within who was a survivor of that wanted me to come to one of their appointments to try to speak to someone. And that therapist said it was my fault because of how suicidal that person was now. Because of my disordered eating and because of the stress and how I engage on a day-to-day basis, I'm causing that person undue stress. So I'm the reason that they're suicidal. So that was my very first experience with a therapist. So you didn't want to go back for a I long did time. not want to go back no. at all. I did not see another therapist until that drugging incident yeah. happened. It's so hard because I don't know, like I've only ever been to one therapist and I felt like I got what I needed out of it mm-hmm. and then I was good even though the last session I had with her was very heavy, but I feel like it unloaded what I needed to at the time. Mm-hmm. But it's it's finding someone you jive with yep. and someone that's not going to victim blame you yeah you know no I felt super heard by my therapist I've been with her now for over a year Mm -hmm. uh I went from seeing her oh god every two weeks to sometimes every week at some points to I now go um, like months without seeing her at times until I like need that I'm like hey we'll touch base kind of thing Mm -hmm. but it opened up a lot obviously doing the trauma dumping and realizing portions of my life how it shaped me who I am yeah and probably she brought up a lot of stuff too hey mm-hmm. that you kind of like I suppressed yes, so <laughs> deeply inside yeah. of me and I also was doing a com- uh, complex trauma-based program at that time right so during that we we're also doing body work and somatic work mm-hmm. and then going to therapy and integrating those two was an absolute blessing that I had like mm-hmm. I'm not a religious person but I I felt like I felt like everything was where it was at because it it was meant to happen for a reason mm-hmm. at that time with myself and I had this abundance amount of support but I felt like at the same time I was so frozen right. that everything around me like I very much so am aware now when I dissociate mm-hmm. and a lot of times when people dissociate they reflect afterwards they're like oh shoot I dissociated like during this moment I can actively tell when I dissociate now right so that was a big thing with therapy that I realized in my somatic work and stuff through my complex trauma program Mm -hmm. that was extremely helpful and just really allowed me to embrace being like in that moment be like I am a survivor I can navigate through this if I need help I will resource out to my supports and I have these abilities within myself to make sure that I am safe Mm -hmm. and when I have moments where I am in control I still have to accept I'm not fully in control and that was a huge thing growing up was I always want to be in control because of the lack of control that I had at a young age. Right. So I may look very put together a lot of the times, but inside I'm just like a hot goddamn mess. <laughs> right, right. As we know, not everyone is nice to assault survivors and often use really harsh words when speaking to them about their experiences, which is so wild because this person felt comfortable opening up to you about this stuff so what are some of the things people have said to you over the years and how did you flip the script on them well i've had people tell me that i'm just a attention seeker that my trauma is not real that i am playing it more than it needs to be that i really shouldn't remember the things that i 
do remember that I'm sure it's, are you sure it's just not a dream or a nightmare that you had and you're just not actually, like didn't actually happen. Yeah. One of the ones that always hones in on me is no one's ever gonna wanna marry you. You're a whore, you're a slut. Yeah. Um, you're literally just like a victim. You have this victimization mentality 24 seven. And which then I flipped the switch and I'm just like, what part of sharing your story, whether or not you want to share your story, I'm never gonna say however you wanna share your story or not, it's up to you, that's your power. Yeah. How you wanna share it, how you want to, if you wanna keep that within yourself, however you wanna share that with the world, whatever, for myself, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is how I gain my voice. This is how I gain my power. This is how I remain empowered is by sharing my story to myself and with my own story. If I keep silent, Mm -hmm. it makes them stronger. And the more I speak about it, the more I feel heard and the more that person will shrink down and not remain like power over me and have this authority over me and that I'm not struggling every single day being like, I am that little secret. If I keep my mouth shut, I will remain like no longer empowered. I'm going to remain this small little child that's like literally peeing herself in her closet and hiding underneath her bed and shaking and stuff all the time and being so fearful of the world. So I really do that. When people call me a whore and a slut, I'm just like, you call me whatever the hell you want. You know what you are. Oh, I know what I am. And like now with certain sexual partners, if you call me a whore and a slut, I'm just like, yeah, bring it on, (laughs) baby. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Degrade me. But thing is, I have to give you permission to degrade me. If I give you that safe space, Mm -hmm. then it definitely can be a turn on aspect of it all. So I really flick the switch on that. And as well being like, I want to become a sex therapist and work with sexual trauma survivors in particular, trying to navigate pleasure again. Um, Because that's the one thing that I often find was with people with sexual trauma survivors, they're so focused on the things that happened to you and how are you going to survive on that on a day-to-day basis. But on a day-to-day basis for everyone, there's always a sexual element. We're all sexual human beings, whether you are asexual or not, you still are sexual in some shape, way, or form. You get pleasures in the world at different forms and a lot of people automatically associate with pleasure with sex kind of thing or like i'm like with the sexual trauma survivor you can navigate pleasure in a sexual way but also on a day-to-day basis the small little things can also bring you so much pleasure yeah and like also knowing that you don't have to engage in sexual activity in any shape way or form with anyone else doing your self-love pleasures is a huge way of doing that as well so like having that instance of getting the drugging and automatically like all this pain and stuff happened i would start going to pelvic floor therapy even good yeah because i recommend that for honestly everyone i've heard it's amazing i've thought about it but i just haven't yeah like i really needed it it's absolutely like phenomenal the work that you do the different exercises and stuff and like as well if like you are individual who is pregnant and going to experience childbirth that is a massive thing as well before and after yeah Yeah. definitely like strengthening up that pelvic floor Mm -hmm. because turns out i carry a lot of my trauma on my pelvic floor which makes sense it's a sexual based trauma and trying to navigate that that's why the somatic work works for me yeah because i'm able to hone in when i'm talking about certain things mm-hmm. i didn't realize how much i would clench myself yeah or like how like how much i'd stress out carry so at the end of the day i'm like 
wow, my pelvic floor feels really heavy or really tight or anything like that. And that's when I'd have to do the exercises because I was keeping all my stress and hoarding all those stressors from my day job or any triggers that I would get throughout the day working with individuals with complex mental health and as well as trauma survivors and stuff as well. Like hearing their stories, it triggers stuff within you, right? And like you may not notice it because you are separating yourself from your job and stuff like that. Yeah. But having that really big flip on that script really helped me. And like, yes, I still struggle for sure for the things that people say, but like I'm human. Mm -hmm. Just knowing that I have the power within myself to navigate all of this and knowing that the support system that I choose to surround myself with Mm -hmm. is the people that I'm choosing. I'm no longer actively having someone in my life that no longer serves me. And I really am focusing in on that. And it's like, if you aren't about me doing this, it's either you're not going to know, but why would I hide that portion of my life from you? Yeah. It's like, you're not getting the whole authentic version of myself. And I'm all about like being myself. Mm -hmm. And I've had people call me weird and people being like, you're a sex freak because all you talk about is sex. But I'm like, it's such a huge thing. Like a part of your life and it's what you want to do for a career yeah so what's so wrong about me talking about being a photographer what's so wrong about you wanting to be a sex therapist yeah or educating people or if something comes up and you know a guy says something kind of gross and you could turn to them and be like hey that's not actually correct yep yeah most definitely like literally the night i got drugged i was giving a man a lecture about consent because he was trying to tell me what are the odds right i was like what the heck but i remember like still to this day they're like shine like give us a play-by-play of that night and every single time they're like what was the last thing you remember really going on before you started feeling this i was like i was giving a man a lecture about consent because he was like oh honey i could please you i was like oh i'm happily in a relationship we've been together for x amount of time like thank you very much i was like how about i teach you about consent (laughs) and like what's okay to say to someone as what's okay to say to someone also for entering my space and getting so close to me and surrounding myself with you and your friend Mm -hmm. like I was like what is going on like what kind of power play dynamic are you getting at so really like I wanted to flip the script on them and be like huh you think that you're gonna over like uh, like overpower me and undermine me and belittle Mm -hmm. me by feeling like this male pressure, but I was like, I'm going to flip it on you and I'm going to be like, I remain empowered. I'm going to tell you about consent. Turns out I ended up getting drugged, but like, I still had that moment. I was like, I'm so proud of myself that yeah. one, yes, I was intoxicated, but with this random stranger, I was educating you on this because a part of me was just like, I want love educating people on a lot of different things, yeah. especially regarding like sexual health, sexual yeah. being. You've done it on your Instagram story a few times where yeah. you're like, if you have any questions, <laughs> you can submit it. I don't judge anything. And yeah. you've given people some really wonderful advice. Yeah, yeah. Like I am a huge advocate for not yucking someone else's yum. Yeah. And I'm like, as long as you're doing a consensual, healthy, open, communicative way with your partner or mm-hmm. partners or whoever, I was like, go for it mm-hmm. i was like whatever is going to make you happy and obviously in a consensual safe way mm-hmm. um but yeah i'm a huge advocate for not yucking someone yum having fun with it and really flipping that script because a lot of people are like oh well i should have limited sexual partners and stuff like that and i was like no you do whatever you want to do i was like yeah. i highly suggest that you go and get sti uh, stbbi which is sexually transmitted bloodborne infections people stis is also a short term go and get tested for it regularly 
And also know that they don't test herpes for that during that screening. So you have to ask for herpes screening, yeah. which is separate. Also, also just, the fact that like most people actually have herpes. Yeah, yeah. literally <laughs> the percentage of people that have it and like also knowing like oral versus genital is different, but you can also yeah. have oral herpes on your genitals. Yep. I was like, I was like, there's nothing wrong with either. I was no. like, you can have a healthy, normal life. You can take antivirals and stuff all the time. Yeah. I was like, it's okay. You're able to go about life. You yeah. also don't need to disclose it to your partners. It's not one of the infections that are sexually transmitted that you need to disclose. Yeah. But there's so many different ways of remaining empowered within a sexual journey. And that's a huge takeaway that I've had from every single one of my instances was just like, I'm going to do this because if I continue talking about this, then everything else is going to lessen its power and its strangle over me. Even though you've experienced so much in your life, you were still motivated to do something great with your life. And you found a lot of ways to keep positive as we've talked about throughout this podcast. And can you tell us about some of the things that have helped you make it through all of this? A huge part that I've talked about numerous times is just my support systems, number one. Yeah. I have wonderful people in my life. They should very much so should know who they are. Yeah. That have helped me navigate every single portion of all this from being four or five years old to now Mm -hmm. at 24. They just give me the safe space to share. And also just know like if I am not in my best self, then that's okay. However, I need to share the space they will ask be like what can i do for you in this moment yeah and i'm very much so appreciative of that uh also having the quote of my father growing up that i literally have tattooed on my spine which is better the world even if it is the smallest of ways Mm -hmm. and that is a quote that he has told me from such a young age i'm just like i do want to better the world even if it's literally helping one person helping myself it's going to better the world in some shape way or form and sharing your story and being open about it and like all of these things that people feel like they have to hide in shame yeah it doesn't have to be like that no exactly and like if if this helps literally just one person maybe help them form a memory that's going to help them navigate their path better or anything like that i want to be that person to do that for them yeah i don't want to be like oh yeah i was the reason that this happened i'm not going to take that glory away from you but I'm like i'm here i'm here with a flashlight walking on this dark path with you but i am not going to hold the flashlight with you like i will be walking alongside you i can help you provide batteries kind of thing if you want to go off to the left of the path that's okay. I'll stay where I am. And if you want me to join you, I'll join you. If not, then we can go back the other way. Like all these different things. I want to be someone that helps navigate them down the path that they're wanting to go down. And Mm -hmm. if they're going down a path that may not be the healthiest, I'll step back Mm -hmm. and I'll just be there for when they need support. And I'll ask, and I'll always ask someone, I was like, do you have the capacity within yourself for me to share something with you mm-hmm. and I'll always check in with them first before I'm just like oh trauma dump yeah <laughs> like all these different things yeah my it, friends and I do the same thing yeah, yeah it's so it opens up this opportunity yes a lot of people are gonna have a hard time being like actually no I don't yeah but having that option be there yeah is so nice mm-hmm. like that's a huge motivator for me and also just knowing that I want to have an environment for my kids one day hopefully if I have kids that I am a safe space for them and they yeah. don't have to hide anything I wouldn't even say just for like your own kids but like the kids that you're around mm-hmm. you know and that's kind of something like I've realized is I have friends that are giving me anti-role which is like mm-hmm. you know it's, such, it's a big it's role a big role and it's one of those things where I'm just like 
I want to be that person that 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 kid feels okay coming to. Yep. I have one of those people and I've had her my entire life and I call her Mama Flea. Yep. And if anything, whether I'm happy, sad, anything, I know she is my person. If I need to go and bury a dead body, she's there with me. Mm -hmm. She is my rock, my person. I feel at home when I am with her. Like I feel so supported. She's a huge motivator for me and she's always told me to do what I want to do. And just keep on pushing forward. And of course, if I have moments where it's hard to push forward, just take that one little step. If you can do that one little step, that's okay. She'll be there with me along the way. Mm -hmm. So that's really kept me motivated. And also just knowing that I want to make my inner child so proud. Mm -hmm. I want to make that little girl that was hiding in that closet underneath that bed so scared, so secretive, so angry, so Mm -hmm. sad all the time, back and forth with her emotions, couldn't regulate anything. I just want to make her so proud. I want to make her feel like she's no longer stuck in this igloo that's going to fall crashing on her. I want her to be able to see the light and be able to step out of the igloo when she feels safe. Mm -hmm. And even if she needs to go back, that's okay. Like I want to have that open space for that portion of myself because I hid her for so long. And it's not fair to myself. It's not fair to partners that I have. It's not fair to family members. If I just keep on burying that for, of course, myself, if someone else has a different journey of that, what they need, that's what they need. But Mm -hmm. for my own self, like it's finally time that give that inner child a voice and that she just scream from the hilltops if she wants to. Reflecting on the challenges that you faced in 2023, which we kind of mentioned earlier has been a lot. (laughs) Could you provide some insights to significant events and experiences that have happened that have shaped your year and how you've overcome it? Yeah. Oh gosh. 2023 has been a whirlwind. End of 2022 also was very difficult in December. That's where all the the crazy started. Everything started in December of 2022. I had my cousin pass from an overdose. I had a car accident. Thankfully, like I'm okay. The other person involved's okay. I had to... (laughs) At a fire when at work, I had a resident actually catch fire while overdosing and seizing during his overdose. And I seen a person on fire is a lot. Did you have to use a fire extinguisher? We had, we literally took clothing items and like Mm. put it on him to in order to take it out and stuff. But obviously like burnt through layers of skin and like seeing all of that. And you're not paid enough for that type of work. And you're also not given adequate enough training in order to see any of that. No. As well as other people with different traumas and stuff in their life, they may have experiences around that that brought up a whole bunch for them as well. In my role that I was in, I just took over, did crisis management, made like put the person off to the hospital and looked after my staff. I did not look after myself. No. Because that was my role. You support your team. And no one really checks in with the team. Like, of course, your friends are like, hey, how are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. good. You know, just having to do baseline stuff. But it hadn't, like, no. hit you. No. No. Did not hit me. The smell stuck mm-hmm. with me probably for about eight weeks. Eight to 12 weeks. I even. have burnt myself pretty bad on an oven. And even that smell was, like, pretty disgusting. So yeah. I, I can't imagine the smell of, like... Lots of burning flesh and yeah, yeah, and like also having the fact that a fire alarm, our fire alarm system never went off. It was just chance that we walked past this person's unit, yeah, and happened to hear the indoor fire alarm going off. But any fire alarm goes off in our building is supposed to trigger our entire system, so we get alerted, right? Yeah, that didn't go off. So then I immediately brought it forward. Nothing 
got happened. They didn't even check our systems, which was mm-hmm. great, but whatever. That happened. And then I was obviously dealing with all of that. Unfortunately, my partner at the time, we, we ended our relationship at that same time as well. Having to move back home with my family was a big thing, but still remain best friends with my partner still mm-hmm. to this day. And it just was a whirlwind of having to do all of that. And then as soon as I kind of went back to work after the holiday break, I was cleaning up a residence unit, got a, stuck by a dirty needle, had to be put on immediately onto HIV prevention medication. Mm-hmm. And because it was a blood filled needle, I had to be put on it for the entire 28 days. Yeah. And if so, you don't know much about that, like it makes you feel like utter shit. Literally, it's volatile. I could not keep anything down. I was nauseous 24-7, lightheaded. Any energy I had was pulled from my entire body. And at that time, I was also fostering a dog for the resident that got burnt. So I was looking after this dog and it was a big responsibility because of course I was used to my other dogs and stuff, but this dog didn't know anything really about it besides like it was a client of mine's. And so I took on the responsibility of looking after this animal and while also feeling that, and then also got COVID at the same time of this needle stick poke injury. The Rem- odds. Yeah, right? <laughs> and automatically lost all this weight. I couldn't eat anything. Went back to my eating disorder. Couldn't keep anything down. Lost a whole bunch of weight, which I'm already a thin girl as is. So mm-hmm. having people comment, be like, oh, you're already thin. You didn't have any lo- uh, weight to lose anyhow. And I'm like, oh, but you'd be surprised how you can stop dropping weight so I dropped down a very dangerous weight yeah so my doctors were concerned naturopath parents yeah. family everyone's very concerned for me yeah. and I was off sick and I had to use all my personal health time get WCB and stuff involved also had an incident with the dog where I fell with the dog and I injured myself then while sick with all this fun stuff and once I finished that returned back to work and then unfortunately that person passed away at the end of January. It was kind of like a weird day because I started off the day with interview for my master's program. So I was riding this high. Yeah. I'd being like, oh my gosh, I just had like almost this two hour long interview with this possible potential supervisor for my master's program. I'm so excited. Oh my God, I've finally been recognized for everything I'm doing, mm-hmm. given this chance and opportunity. And then I unfortunately had to go and handle this person's death where I had to move his body when he's been deceased for a very long time and performed CPR. And he unfortunately was dead for a very long time. It was way past revival. Yeah. And And I guess another thing too, if if you don't know much or about rigor mortis or anything, it it starts seven minutes after, like six or seven minutes, something like that, after someone passes away. Like you really do not have that much time for CPR. No. And off mic, Cheyenne was telling me that they've changed their protocols since then. Yeah. But the fact that you had to do that was pretty yeah. fucked up. Yeah, had to move someone that's been deceased for several that hours. That shouldn't have been your job. Yeah. So. Yeah, and like having another staff member help me remove this person off a couch. And yeah. like, as soon as I saw him, I paid my respects to him and then had to move his body and yeah. stuff. And I was like, I already knew. So that was a lot to deal with and also being there to support my team, supporting the resident that witnessed everything and stuff as well. Yeah. It was just a whirlwind so that I automatically kicked up back up with that eating disorder even though I'd never even had a pause of a moment. It just triggered it even more. So I was super angry all of the time, super negative towards everything. Nothing mattered at that point really Mm -hmm. anymore. And I just kept on getting sick. 
continuously. Every two to three weeks, I would get sick. So I had no energy. I was losing weight quickly. My parents were very concerned for me, best friends concerned for me and stuff as well. And I just like kept on going down this drain and I couldn't take care of myself because I knew I had a job at hand and a team to support that was like my family. Yeah. And I didn't want to not have them have someone because I, that's when it's all crumbled and stuff before in the past with other you people. would have probably felt selfish even though it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like if I took this time away, who would be there for anyone else? How could I dare navigate this path with yeah. myself when I knew they would be suffering and stuff as well? Yeah. And as soon as like things started to get a little bit better, unfortunately, one of my residents had a fire. So then they switched units and then he unfortunately passed away as well from an overdose. And luck, I'm thankful that I was not there to see his body that that time because the last time I saw him, I told him I was his biggest cheerleader. And I was so proud of him because he was riding the bike to work. And like even after just dealing with his entire unit being in flames, he was still staying positive and everything. Yeah. And I was so thankful for that being my last memory of him instead of seeing the body and having to deal everything like that. Absolutely. It's just like been hardship after hardship after hardship and yeah. stuff with that. So what kind of got you out of it? A lot of it. Therapy was... Uh, was just I was going every single week to therapy, yeah. honestly. My therapist was making bank on me uh, with the amount of therapy sessions we we're doing. Money well spent, though. Yeah. A lot of it was long showers, and I didn't know that showers can also be a dangerous thing. Absolutely. Didn't know that. Didn't know that because I just thought, like, the hotter the shower is, the did better you, I did feel. Did you pass out? Yeah. I also am low iron, and I'm anemic. Oh, yeah, there you so, go. So, like, I pass out a few times in the shower. Yeah. But... It made, I would have this visualization process of everything getting washed off of me. So then it made stepping out of the shower after my 45 to a, 45 minutes to an hour long shower. Yeah. Sorry, water bill, but like not sorry. Mm-hmm. It made it more tolerable. So I was having five, six showers a day. Yeah. As soon as I woke up in the morning, I'd have a shower. As soon as I got home from work, I'd shower. I'd shower multiple times before going to bed. Mm-hmm. Right before bed, have another shower. Yeah. I was engaging a lot of sexual activity that was not the safest as well because I put myself in harm's way, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. because I wanted to feel anything remotely yeah. because I had no emotions to express at that time. Everything was just like very, very sad. Yeah. Having the support system that I had was very, very helpful. And also just knowing that I was leaving for going to school was something that really pulled me out of it for Mm -hmm. sure was being like I have until this deadline in Mm -hmm. August to get my shit together so that way I can go to school for September right and that was a huge motivator for me was like okay we can do this we can endure all this suffering Mm -hmm. until this point so as long as I had that deadline then I was like okay I can do this I can manage I can manage I can manage Mm -hmm. and you did I did I did I survived through all of that it was very hard the last little bit before I was about to leave my last day of work unfortunately a week prior I had one of my best and closest friends pass away while doing wildfire work oh my gosh so that was very difficult to to navigate because I actually had my staff throwing me a goodbye party that day as well oh my god so I literally got pulled away and tried to navigate that grief and stuff and be there for my friends who are also navigating that grief and still to this day and know a week later that that was my last day and I had so many things I wanted to celebrate and stuff and share with my friend and unfortunately he's no longer with us but like I just always feel his energy and stuff around which is really nice Mm -hmm. 
but I just I didn't want to disappoint my young version of myself constantly I there was a lot of negative self-talk over the past I'd say like from December to June or May June in particular a lot of negative Mm self-talk towards myself and it was not healthy I had a lot of emotional outbreaks and a lot of hard conversations, behavioral stuff going on with my friends and family. But I, at the end of the day, I just knew that I could and will do better for myself Mm -hmm. in order to make sure that I'm doing better than how I was the day before. Mm -hmm. And I just kept myself motivated, did a lot of podcasts, did a lot of reading, picked up reading again, which was nice. Time outdoors, went on a camping trip by myself, which was honestly one of the most therapeutic things I've done for myself by far. I yeah, I had the lake literally almost basically to myself. I went on my paddleboard and had a deer like eight feet away from me. Yeah, you posted photos of some of this. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize you were alone. I was alone that entire time from Friday till Sunday. And it was eye-opening my parents very much so terrified that something was going to happen but i was like i don't care i need to do this and i sat in silence there's times i played music and stuff but i sat in silence with myself in a book or myself in the water yep for the longest time and like i got some amazing tattoos during this time period and Mm -hmm. stuff that are huge empowerment piece for myself and my sexual trauma journey Mm -hmm. in order to indicate how far i've come for sure. That's amazing. So could you share some strategies for maintaining empowerment, motivation, resilience, you know, in the face of trauma rather than letting it bring you down and immobilize you? I would say try to find your voice in whatever way that looks for you. Yeah. Some people may be journaling, some people may be poetry, some people may be songwriting. Yeah. Other people may be just sharing out loud to family, friends, or I even to themselves. I would say even like... Um, like writing on online forums and stuff like you know a lot of people don't have (laughs) don't have voices like us where we can talk about anything for hours and hours but they might just feel good talking about something anonymously on reddit exactly and not being anonymous during this is a huge way to channel that voice of yours people are just like well you're being anonymous no one knows it's you but it's a safe environment for you to do it yeah. And like, if you don't want people to comment, you can turn off commenting. Yep. And it's such an empowering thing. Another way is I did boudoir photography. Hell yeah, you did. Yeah, <laughs> I that was a huge way to get my sexual empowerment back. Yeah. And that's a huge avenue that I encourage someone if they're able to, or even mm-hmm. just like take those photos if you're alone. Take those moments to admire yourself, give yourself gratitude. There's way more way more benefits in this world with talking to yourself in a positive mindset than it is in a negative yeah and i always keep on telling myself as soon as i tell myself in a negative thing now i'm just like would i say that to my best friend Mm -hmm. would i say that to my sister no i wouldn't no i wouldn't do any of those things no so i always just like hey how can i flip it how can i make a more positive mindset out of all of this Mm -hmm. that's another one spending time outdoors if that's your thing taking time to embrace the small moments of life that give you pleasure and really just hone in on those and do those things actively, even if it's once a week. Mm -hmm. So I really discovered I, for some reason, I like painting 
and I like reading books and I've always been like an avid reader since I was little but then I stopped for years yeah because like school's hectic and yeah. when the hell I used you to have read time a lot to too and that used to be like my thing yeah and I can't I don't know the last time I picked up a book oh my gosh but I found other things that I like yeah. to do but like I just think back and I'm like I used to be a book girl like what happened but yeah yeah no it, it's interesting like what what goes around comes around yeah, yeah. and I don't want to be like that generic thing be like self-care do all these things like, there's not yeah. a moment. I was like, I'm having a self-care date. But I literally just found pleasure in the smallest of moments. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize how much I love silence. Because I am always around hectic atmospheres and chaos all the time. Yeah. So, to have a moment that's actually silence is so blissful for me. Absolutely. Taking out my hearing aids is a wonderful thing. Because I'm hearing impaired, hearing yeah. impaired, girly, what up? But I take out my hearing aids and it's probably one of my favorite things of the day. Yeah. Because all the extra stimuli no longer exists. Yeah. And yes, it annoys people and they have to talk louder or whatever. I don't care. Because I'm just like, this is just a part that's going to bring me happiness for the day. Yeah. Another part is just surround yourself with the things or people that actually make your like autoimmune system relax don't have surround yourself around pure chaos all the time having it be heightened yeah. doesn't matter if people in your life don't like certain people and stuff obviously if they're a dangerous person please be courteous and be mindful of that mm -hmm. but it's your life at the end of the day please just take care of yourself and i surrounded myself with someone that brings me ultimate amounts of happiness even though people may not like that person mm -hmm. i'm still surrounding myself with that person because they're not causing any harm if anything they're relaxing my uh, autoimmune responses and stuff and making me feel very at ease so we've talked about it a couple times but you have some pretty cool and ambitious future goals so let's let's go into it so what are you going to saskatchewan for <laughs> i am actually moving literally this oh god what day is it right now? <laughs> Pretty soon. August, August 27th. <sighs> I was going to say this Sunday, but I don't know when this is going to get edited and released. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, August 27th yeah. is when I am uprooting my life all over again for the next two years at a minimum. Yeah. I'm moving to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and I am going to pursue my master's in applied social psychology, and I am going to be focused in sexuality in particular. So, so cool. Yeah, right yeah. now we aren't set in stone as to what my thesis and stuff's going to be, but I'm assuming something around like PTSD. You have a year to figure that out, don't you? Like, well, yeah, you actively work on it during your first year and then okay. second year is like you're actually finalizing anything. Right. Like here's like your baby steps kind of thing. And you're trying to get as much research funding and stuff as possible. Yeah. But right now I'm thinking like anything regarding PTSD, complex trauma, and like sexuality in some shape, way, or form. Yeah. So my thesis supervisor, she has a lot of history regarding like PTSD and animal work and stuff like that. Super cool. So, and like with yeah. veterans. And I'm like, maybe I can work with PTSD veterans and with regarding their sexuality. I was amazing. like, I think that would be amazing as someone who yeah. has had a partner that was in the military mm -hmm. as well as the grandfather that was in World War Two. Yeah, World War Two. I was like, <laughs> wow, brain error. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited to get that journey going. Mm -hmm. And then from there, hopefully getting my PhD and getting my doctorate and everything. So that way I'd be a sex therapist, which means I have to do a whole counseling program and stuff as well, separate to all of this. Yeah. But I'm such like a freaking school nerd. Like I love education yeah. <laughs> so much. Like it fuels so much inside of me. Like it fills my cup. Is that yeah, the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Um, it fills my cup immensely. Yeah. Like I feel super happy, very 
privileged to have that opportunity that I can go and do all of this. Mm-hmm. So I have that opportunity going on right now. I'm kind of editing a little bit of like a hand guide, I guess you could say, for indi- individuals that work in the service industry for homeless individuals cool. and individuals who have suffered with sexual trauma. Yeah. So I created the handbook already. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of editing and working through with one of my previous professors. Yeah. And she's looking at getting it published one day. Well, good things take time. Yeah, exactly. Right. I was like, yeah. I have a lot going on but this is a great kind of goal to go after and with my experience from my previous job I have a lot of first-hand experience Mm -hmm. so that's a huge thing going on the go right now yeah I just trying to uproot everything right now and try to navigate that navigate my love life at the same time yep is always interesting trying to see how that all goes I also feel like finding someone on the same level as you is really hard yeah yeah like I unfortunately with my childhood a lot of it got taken away and I matured at a very young age and people meet me and they're like you're a very old soul and I was like this trauma (laughs) Um, unfortunately but also from a very young age I sat around with the adults when I was like seven years old I would just sit with the adults instead of going and playing with kids at parties yeah and just engage in their conversations so having that ability from a young age has been very helpful so trying to find people on my wavelength knowing that I have a support system there I'm very excited for yeah but I so much of me is just like looking forward to getting my schooling and stuff done getting my practice started and that way I can focus on like family and getting that all started and that's gonna be exciting but right now it's like trying to get my voice as much heard as possible and help as many people as possible. But the end goal is sex uh, sex therapy and working with sexual trauma survivors, like I said before, navigating pleasure and also doing comprehensive sexuality education for all ages. Yeah, Yeah. it's just super cool. And I'm just so proud of you because when I met you, you you were 20 years old. Yeah. And you had all these goals already, Mm -hmm. which like most 20 year olds are like, okay, what, can I, like, work at the bar so I can make some mad tips and then, like, go travel? But, like, that was never, never your goal or anything like that. No, you knew from so young that, and obviously you were well-researched and had done the backing that you knew what you wanted to do. Yeah. And you've continued with it for four years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very, yeah, very excited to see where this all goes. I very much so in the last few months, I've discovered that I'm like adrenaline junkie a little bit. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't given off that vibe, yeah. uh, but I really want to do skydiving, unfortunately, with it's the wild, so fun. Yeah, with the wildfires yeah. and stuff that just happened, I mm-hmm. had to postpone scheduling oh, no. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so I'm going to try next summer. Uh, Hopefully, I'll have the time to. I'll go with you. It's so yeah, fun. Literally, yeah, literally. I'll just go jump out of a plane and be like, hey, yeah. let's podcast in the sky. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, it's. I could talk about skydiving like all day because it is a really fun experience. I'm very excited for when it happens. Yeah, very excited. So, is there anything else you've done more recently, like adrenaline wise? I tried snowmobiling for the first time. Fun. That yep. was fun. Did some other sexual adventures <laughs> while up in the mountains, which was exciting because, yep. like, meeting a lot of people along the past like eight months has been very exciting but also showed me where my resources where my priorities and stuff land yeah for myself and as well like sexual pleasure Mm -hmm. did that i guess like just traveling and stuff by myself solo travel is solo travel has been a huge thing for myself getting tattoos has been one the people are like oh that's a very safe one the areas that i get tattoos are very very much so areas that i my my most recent one has been on my 
breasts. Yeah. And that was one when I was younger, I could never expose my breasts whatsoever. Yeah. And then once I got like my nipple piercings and stuff done, mm-hmm. then I was able to expose it a little bit more, but I was still a little bit shy. This These tattoos really resemble my trauma journey and how yeah. much of a survivor I am and that I'm able to now have this art on my body of a part that I was so shameful around and had so much trauma mm-hmm. and stuff around that I'm now like, this is a part of who I am and I'm going to remain empowered. And when I'm like having a hard time, I'll look at myself in the mirror and be like, this is who we are. And this is like where I can be and stuff in the future. A lot of people were like, well, why don't you get that, you know, post kids or whatever. I'm like, I was like, I'm gonna get a tattoo when I wanna get a tattoo. But also I wanna be able to show my kids and be like, this is how your body changes. Mm-hmm. Like these used to be here and now they're down here. Like this is how your skin's gonna move. Yep. And like be like, these are the different changes. But yeah. like, it's very much so an empowering thing. And the tattoo artist that I had was very trauma informed and always checked in the entire tattoo process, mm-hmm. which is a very unique experience yeah. um, to have, especially in a very vulnerable area. And also doing the advocacy of being like nipples are nipples like breast or breast yeah like regardless of how you identify or anything like that like, trust me if i could post more nipple like god even of myself on social media yeah i would but uh, unfortunately instagram hates me enough already so i can't literally yeah. it's just like oh sexual this you're doing sexual harassment sexual i was like seriously they're yeah. nipples like i know someone's uh child the other day that got censored for are their you nipple. serious a child oh my god that's yeah. crazy and i was like Ugh. this is insane but <sighs> But yeah, a whole bunch of things going on right now. Yeah. So we've reached the end of our lovely podcast today. And I just want to ask Cheyenne, any final thoughts or words you'd like to share? Well, first, I want to thank you for giving me the space <laughs> to <laughs> share all this yeah. and like trauma dump within trigger warnings oh and stuff. Gosh. Of course, you prepared yourself beforehand as to what I was going to say and you already knew bits and pieces anyhow. Yeah. But I really just hope this even just helps one person. And just being aware that you're not alone, even if you identify with being a victim and you're like, well, Cheyenne says you have to be a survivor. No, I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying for myself, that's what works best for me. Yeah. And just know that you have control as to how this journey goes with yourself. Mm-hmm. You have full control as to who you want around in your life and who you want touching your body. Just know that you have the power to voice that if you don't want someone touching you you have the ability to speak out but also just know it's totally normal and okay if you do the freeze response and if you can't say anything or uh, if you feel like it's right in the moment but it may not settle in the future kind of thing and you think back and be like you know what actually I wasn't okay with that everything is a learning opportunity unfortunately and a lot of it can stem from trauma Mm -hmm. and it's very unfortunate that i yes i've had to endure these things from a very young age but i do hope it reaches the right person that it does help them and know that any point that you if you do choose to report you can report at any time of your life yeah like i can report about the instances that happened when i was young now absolutely and there's nothing wrong with doing that if anything like I applaud you with however you want to handle your trauma journey, whoever you want to tell or don't tell, that's okay because it's your story and how you want to navigate your story is totally up to you and remain empowered by doing that. Yeah, super well said. Well, thank you so much for coming today. And I mean, I'm sure 
there will be an update in two years to come back on the podcast and we'll, <laughs> Almost we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today. And thanks again, Sharon, for coming. And there'll be a link to our social medias in the bio or not the bio, the description of this podcast. I'm so go. used to saying link in bio, <laughs> but everybody have a wonderful day and we will back, be back soon. Wow. Words have really gone at the end of this. We'll be <laughs> back soon <laughs> with another episode. Have a good one. <laughs>